This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Snodgrass, the writer of The Measure of a Man for Star Trek Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Oh, great hot. Hello and welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Richard Marquez, and joining me, as always, is the amazing Amy and the incredible Justin Ozer. How are you guys doing? Doing great. So glad to be back with you guys. I'm just loving Next Generation as usual and super excited uh, for today's episode. Super duper excited? Super duper. <laughs> I, d- yeah, you got, you, you'll find out why because oh, okay. the okay. listener's feedback is just awesome. So yeah. Awesome. So how you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. Hey, we're recording on a Monday night. That's unusual, but why not? spice it up a little bit sometimes uh but yeah excited about this episode that's a continuation of something we did before presenting some things you may have never heard of before so that's always exciting but before we get to that we actually have some babel uh, conference feedback for episode 234 uh which would be the favorite character moments season six so amy you want to start us off Sure. Patrick Carlin says yes to Face of the Enemy, one of my favorites of TNG, and Troy at her best, hands down. Yes, I do agree. It's really too bad we didn't get more of this badass side of her. Side note, when I got to meet Marina and get her autograph a few years ago, I chose the promo promo picture from this episode for the signature. Great choice. That is an excellent. I would like to have her signature on that promo picture as well because it is, Troy, just awesome. And Marina, awesome acting. So thank you, Patrick. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. It it is an amazing episode. And if listeners haven't seen it in the Babel Conference associated with that episode, he showed the picture that he has. (laughs) So that was cool to see. Nice. Yeah, I actually got her with the fir- the um, the first contact uniform. I don't think she had that at her, at her table uh, when I when I went there to, for the autograph. So yeah. Well, well, since we're sharing, I have the one with her in her blue dress because that's my favorite. <laughs> well, and, and and I got one for Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis to sign that showed the uh, bar scene from First Contact. So that was fun. Mm. Oh, lovely! <laughs> to get both nice. of them. Time. So we, we all don't have different ones. Have time. <laughs> And I had to get them at separate conventions, but it was worth it. Oh, awesome. Oh, Wes Huntington says, great picks for moments from the sixth season. I would have picked the decisions Data does to protect the exocomps and the quality of life. His decision mirrors what Picard did for him way back in The Measure of a Man. That would have been my choice for the best character moment for the season. 
My honorable mention goes to Lieutenant Barclay and his decision to face his fear of the transporter in Realm of Fear. Sometimes I wish Bones could have confronted that fear of being transported like he did. Confronting your fears about anything can help you in the long run, and what he did was great. Yeah, thanks, Wes. Uh, definitely some some great picks uh, with the quality of life and the exocomps and and Barclay and Realm of Fear, which I almost chose. Uh, so those are some some great choices. And yeah, it would have been interesting, like if Bones confronted his fear of the transporter, what would that be like? What would a Bones Realm of yeah. Fear episode be like? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was an interesting uh, connection to put that with Bones. And yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, Zach, Haley, and uh, Ken, you'll have to let us know what you think that would have been like. Mm. <laughs> From the face of fear? I, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it made him queasy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, Brandon Smith said, thanks again for the math moment, Amy. <laughs> Yay! And yes, sign me up uh, to serve on a starship for the uh, for the math position. Lieutenant Smith, math division at your service. What would that look like? That would just be so awesome where it'd be like, okay, well, we have this idea. Send it off to the math department to make sure it's going to work and infeasible. And they'd crunch numbers and say, green light. Green light. red light. (laughs) Or you could just go through the computer. Yes. That sounds like the original series. You get a green light response or red light response. But yeah. yeah, why isn't there a math department and math officers? The computer can't do all of it because sometimes you have to invent some math, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, that that is kind of what happens sometimes when you're facing yeah. a problem. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> right on. Well, Justin, do you want to start us off? Yes. So today, this is a continuation of something we started a few months ago, Lost Episodes. So this is part two. Uh, Again, there are two stories uh, that were never produced, and this comes from a book called Lost Voyages of Trek and the Next Generation, which has some really interesting stuff. Uh, These ones still come from season one, uh, but I think there's some some really great stuff. So shall we go right into the first one? Sure. Absolutely. All right. So the first one is called The Neutral Zone. Yes, there is an episode called The Neutral Zone in season one. It's the season finale, but as happened... Previously, when we had one that was called The Bonding, before that episode uh, was written, so this was something where they must have just, you know, brought over a, a title that they they were using early on for this one that didn't get produced. So it was written by Greg Strangis, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, S-T-R-A-N-G-I-S, and he was actually a staff writer for season one of The Next Generation. He was also credited as a creative consultant on Angel One, Data Lore, and The Big Goodbye. I'm going to go into the plot summary. And if you listen to the previous episode, there's a lot of detail on these. So we're going to go into a lot of detail. But of course, Amy and Richard, feel free to interject anything because there's some very interesting stuff here, (laughs) to say the least, just like last time. So the Enterprise is awaiting the arrival of Commander Billings, a chief of security from Starfleet Command, though they don't know the purpose of his visit. Picard asks for information on Billings, but Tasha actually has more information to offer him than anyone else. Uh, She says Billings wrote the book on security and was an instructor at the academy who was highly respected by both students and peers. However, the last few years of his life have been a mystery as he has avoided the spotlight. The Enterprise meets the star cruiser Washington, but Billings refuses to beam over, preferring to come over by shuttlecraft. As the doors to his shuttle open, the crew is surprised to see him float out of the shuttle in the 24th century equivalent of a wheelchair, the script describes him as being severely disabled. 
think that's something hmm. they use later in Too Short a Season, where you had the, what, Admiral Jameson in the wheelchair, right? Oh, yeah, right. so I think they reused it for that. The script says that Billings is 40 years old and very lively. Tasha asks if he needs any specific accommodations, and he says that he doesn't. Here's Richard's favorite part. Wesley marvels at his chair and tries to question Billings about how it works. But Billings turns to Picard and asks why a youth has access to the bridge. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Picard evades the question and asks about the nature of Billings' mission. He only replies that it will become clear in time. Billings asks for a full tour of the ship so that he can assess the status of its security. Tasha leads him off the bridge. Riker, Geordi, Worf, and Picard discuss Billings and manage to determine their current heading will take them to the neutral zone, the border between Federation and Romulan space. So, of course, this has that in common with the actually produced episode, uh, The Neutral Zone. Mm -hmm. So, it's about Romulans. Uh, Picard is concerned, but Worf makes it clear he'd love nothing more than to tangle with the Romulans. We see Billings and Tasha on the battle bridge, where he's asking her questions about ship security. He then asks if anyone on board has had contact with any Romulans. Before Tasha does a computer check for that information, she asks him if he's familiar with the failed Earth colony of Devana 7, where she grew up. But he says Devana 7 was a long time ago and has no bearing on the current mission. And I'm just kind of curious, when they talk about where she grew up, did they have even name the planet? I don't know if they really... Or was it named something else? I'm not recalling now. Hmm. I think so. I mean... It's, didn't they, um, well, I mean, maybe not in season one, but what was it, season three when we met her sister? Oh, yeah, we met Ishara Yar. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, at least they, they I know they uh, named the planet by then. So I don't know about season one. So maybe not. I don't know. Well, if this was supposed to be I mean, the uh, season finale for season uh, one, right? Well, the, the actually produced one was, but I don't know where this one would have fit in. So. Oh. Uh, but I think this was way before they knew that, that they were going to kill off Tasha. But I actually looked it up, and it says Turkana 4, so they must have just chosen a different name later. Okay. Mm. After he says that Devana 7 was a long time ago and has no bearing on the mission, the comment hurts Tasha, but she says nothing. So back in sickbay, Data works with Dr. Crusher on an organ regeneration experiment. Beverly says she is puzzled by Data's physiology, stating that what her medical instruments show can't be true. Now, this is where it's kind of vague in the script because it doesn't really explain this. Data points out, yeah. the fact that he exists is the one thing that matters in this case. How he exists does not. <laughs> oh, yeah. They hadn't decided how to treat him, Yeah, and I you'll guess. see later there's something in here where it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, back on the bridge, Tasha and Billings present a list of people that must be dropped off at the next star base and to stay there for the remainder of the mission. Worf is on the list, and that makes Picard angry. Worf protests, but Picard silences him and says to Billings that the crew of the Enterprise were handpicked and can be trusted. So I think the idea here is they just want to drop off anyone that they can't trust to be around the Romulans. Interesting idea. <laughs> I don't know how that would work. Huh. So Picard says he won't transfer anyone off the ship, but as a compromise, get ready for this. As a compromise, he will reassign Worf as Wesley's tutor. I love that. <laughs> yes. Put some discipline in that boy. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. This is like a choice you could, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine. And I really like this story you now. Like it? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's more later, but 
Yeah, Worf as Wesley's tutor. Anyway, not only not tucking him in, but as his tutor. How about that? Yeah. Okay. So Billings isn't completely happy with that, but he accepts it as it will remove two security risks from the bridge. I guess Wesley's Ooh. a security risk because he's that young kid messing around on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been saying it since the beginning. <laughs> so then Picard asks to see Billings in his ready room. Once there, Picard demands to know what's going on. Billings says the Enterprise will serve as the base for an extremely important trade conference, which will be the first to include the Romulan Empire. However, there are factions among the Romulans that don't want an agreement to be reached. Ship security is very important. He knows that Worf has a hatred for the Romulans, and so for security purposes, needs to be removed from the mix. Yeah, that doesn't... That makes sense. No. What do you mean? He hates the Romulans. He's like... He hates the Romulans. Yeah. So how is that a security risk? Uh, in case he ca- it causes a fight or something like that? It, it, is, it is a little weird because if he's a, a Starfleet officer, he's kind of sworn to not take that into account. Or what, what do they think? He's just going to pull a phaser and kill a couple Romulans? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and if they're removing people that they don't trust, are they thinking that, you know, Klingons and Romulans... Is that what like- they said to Duras? <laughs> <laughs> I know, or his father. Like, there's, yeah. you know, cohesion yeah. between them. So it's like, that doesn't make sense to remove him. If anything, he's going to be extra vigilant because of his hatred. I can see that. It is a bit It is a bit of an odd idea, something they were trying out early on. So Picard then responds, he isn't fond of Romulans either, having engaged two birds of prey in a battle several years earlier. Now, this is something that didn't end up getting used. Like, the the idea in the neutral zone is they haven't really even seen the Romulans for 50 years. But here they're saying that mm. recently, as a couple of years ago, Picard was in battle with the Romulans. So that would introduce mm. something different than what we saw where they were in isolation for a long time. So Billing says that he is aware of this and that the battle forced the Romulans to look at the captain with honor. That's why they didn't ask for the Enterprise as a location for the trade conference, just that Picard be there. So that's really interesting also. Like, he had this battle, he's gotten their respect, and so they want to meet with him for this trade conference. That's such a different spin than when we first really see the Romulans in TNG. Yeah. Right. Hmm. All right, so then Tasha comes to see Dr. Crusher in sickbay, where she asks how she can let someone know that she admires them on more than just a professional level. <laughs> Crusher said... Oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's in... Riker? Well... No. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I'll just mess with Amy. <laughs> uh, so Crusher says to use the direct approach. Later in the turbo lift, Beverly sees Billings and asks why he has refused to undergo a physical. He offers some weak excuses, and she changes the request to an order. Billings goes to see Tasha to check on her progress with ship security. She mentions to him that he was the one who got her involved in Starfleet and security in the first place. He led the Starfleet security forces that rescued her and others from Devana 7, and she feels she owes him a debt of gratitude that can never be repaid. Yeah, so that's a little bit, I think, different than what we... Because I don't know if in season one... I mean, they talk about, you know, all these assaults and all this, you know, difficulty there, but I don't know if they talk about her being, like, rescued by Starfleet officers or anything like that, right? I remember her... I remember hearing that... Or at least I, I maybe maybe it's my I don't know I I remember her saying that she was saved by a Starfleet officer, but I don't think they mentioned names or anything like that from the for the uh, from encounter at Farpoint when uh, when the uh, when the trial began. Well, I guess there was I guess she was pointing at them, so I guess it's assumed. 
that she was saved by Starfleet. I don't know. Yeah, no, I was I was looking it up on Memory Alpha, and it, it I think it's it's kind of vague. Like she found a way to leave the planet, and after that, attended Starfleet. Oh, it's okay. It does say credited Starfleet with saving her from a previous life, but they're not specific about who it is, and certainly not meeting that person, right. which which she is. That here. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think there was an na- actual. Name. I don't think so yeah. either. Yeah. Okay. So this is one of the people that helped to to rescue her. So then Billings practically ignores what she said, saying the mission was nothing special. He then turns the discussion back to Enterprise Security and criticizes her for what he's seen so far. He leaves and Tasha is stunned and hurt. Jordy and Wesley enter shortly after that, and they're angry about being restricted from certain areas of the ship. So <laughs> here's what I'm wondering, like, so Jordy's a security risk for the Romulans too? Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, I mean, that's what I what it seems to imply. But anyway, so Tasha gives the explanation given to her, but it doesn't sit well with them. Back in sickbay, Dr. Crusher is examining Billings and says it seems he sustained his injuries in the midst of acts of heroism. Billings says he doesn't want to talk about it. How would she know that? The injuries. Oh, because she's that good of a doctor. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ma- magic stuff. I think in the pr- that good of a doctor. In the previous episode, there was some some kind of magical medical stuff going on, wasn't there? So. Yeah, like, oh, you got this injury, you know, when you were saving someone, or you got this injury <laughs> while you were playing Parisi Square. I mean, how is she going to know the difference? It's a it's a really good question. Maybe it's a certain kind of break that is only in. Her- heroes oh. i don't know maybe <laughs> in heroes sure, sure. Um, maybe the achilles you know heel is broken i don't know <laughs> who knows okay. maybe, maybe they would have All found right. some way to explain that like it was in his file or she asked him a question but it's really not specific here yeah yeah well she could you can determine like how long ago something mm-hmm. happened and then if she were to put that into the record and see that he was deployed or out on assignment. Yeah. I mean, you could probably tell the difference between like a leg that you break falling down the stairs and one that you break like in combat or something, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's vague. <laughs> it's vague. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, I don't know about that. It's they, they, <laughs> yeah, they, they would have needed to fill that in for sure. Right. Yeah. Unless you had like marks on the outside or something like that, yeah. then I, I could see that, yeah. But anyway, so Billing says he doesn't want to talk about that, and Beverly changes the subject and says that she and Data have been performing experiments that could take nutrients from Data's spinal cord, inject them into Billings, and repair his damaged nerve endings. So apparently Data has nutrient-filled spinal cord that can help to cure people. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. See, again, it does keep them did lubricated. they know that he's an android? I, I assume they would know from whatever show Bible they had that he was an android, but an android with yeah. nutrients, maybe. See, but that's... didn't he? But didn't he have like some kind of liquid or something like that that keeps? He he talks about some sometimes drinking lubricant to like keep his right. his parts lubricated. Maybe that's a mm. byproduct of his spine. Yeah. I mean, and also I, I had watched a Birthright recently, and when he, when Data's talking to Doctor Bashir, he does. Like Bashir notices like, oh, your hair grows. It seems like you breathe and have a pulse. So there are these things that Data has that try to simulate him being mm-hmm. human. So right. maybe something like that. But certainly it's never established in the show that there are nutrients in his spinal cord. <laughs> right. So it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. idea. She presents that to Billings and he refuses and says it would be just another attempt to raise his hopes and then destroy him, destroy them when the experiment fails. He says he has accepted his situation. 
Billings exits sickbay and runs into Wesley, who asks if he could have access to materials located in restricted areas that he thinks could enhance Billings' wheelchair. He wants to trick out the wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. So Billings snaps that he doesn't need anyone's help and then moved away. So, so far, this this guy is um, has a chip on his shoulder, being fairly unpleasant to people, maybe justifiably. Yeah, do you know um, who that reminds me of? Who does it remind you of? Um, and you'll have to help me out, guys. But as you oh, know, I'm oh, watching Oh, 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 you're talking DS9. about Maura Pazlar on DS9? She comes and she's... The one where she's... Yeah. She's oh, in a wheelchair yes. and does yep. it all yep. herself. And she's sort of short with everyone. And yeah, at least at first. I forgot breaks about that. through and saves the day, but... Yeah, so that's... the. Don't you think that's similar? Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that. And I don't know if all those years later on DS9 that would have been an influence... But yeah, it is there there is some similarity there for sure. And that's an interesting episode yeah. too, because she comes from like a, a low gravity world and in the higher gravity of DS9, yeah. it's hard for her to walk around. So I could totally see that. Yeah. Good call from DS9. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I forgot about that episode. It's been a while since I see that one. It's an interesting one. And there and there's another way in which there's a parallel with that one that you'll see. So then the Enterprise arrives at the neutral zone and a Romulan ship approaches. Enterprise goes to yellow alert, and Billings is called to the bridge. The ship is hailed, and after a discussion, a Romulan security officer, Subcommander Gar, beams aboard. He immediately comments on how primitive the Enterprise's transporter is. Some Romulan arrogance there. (laughs) Mm. Gar is escorted into a corridor where Worf and Wesley are standing. Worf and Gar exchange scowls, and Worf mutters an insult as he passes. So in the ready room, Gar tells Picard the Empire is going through with the trade conference. He thinks the conference will fail, but he has been assigned to keep the Romulan delegates safe aboard the Enterprise. Picard is not happy with Gar's presence, especially since it seems he would love for the conference to fail. Uh, Back in sickbay, Beverly is asking Tasha if there's any way to convince Billings to go through with the experiment. Tasha doesn't have an answer, but she says that she'll look over the information on the experiment. Elsewhere, Gar is being given a tour to satisfy his concern over ship security. In the ship's library, Worf is lecturing Wesley on Klingon history. (laughs) Of course he is. Two things. Ship's library, which I think we only see in a deleted scene from Nemesis, I think it is, right? I think I saw it recently. Hmm. There's actually a scene with um, Riker. I think it's Nemesis, if not Insurrection. So, you know, with Riker and Troy, like, in the ship's library doing research and (laughs) having to be quiet. It's kind of funny, but... But anyway, ship's library, which you don't really see on the show, and imagine Richard Worf lecturing Wesley on Klingon history. <laughs> I think that's pretty great. I I hope he has like a ruler or something like that, <laughs> uh, and smacking him upside the head every time he gets something wrong or something. Like that. Oh, don't get so violent. He's <laughs> just a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's Klingon culture. I mean, embrace it. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's something interesting. It says what Worf is lecturing about is little more than a list of battles, but Wesley is fascinated. Worf mentions a Klingon-Romulan battle where the Klingons were victorious, but Gar enters and says that's not how it really happened. They exchange insults, and Worf ends by saying Klingons must be superior because the Romulans copied their ship design. <laughs> I love that because that's a nice reference to the original series where the Klingons show up with a, a Romulan-type ship in the third season. So, Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, because I think what happened was they had like the model, but it broke, and so they're like, uh-oh, we don't have much budget in this season, so we need to... Let's just put in the Romulan ship. I think that's how it happens. So it's kind of a funny reference wow. to that. So that quiets down Gar, who turns his attention back to security. He wants to finish the inspection alone. Riker objects, but Billings notes that if the ship is truly secure, there's nothing to fear. 
Gar hurls another insult at Worf and leaves. Worf then says, How can someone look so much like a Vulcan, yet act like such a moron? <laughs> can you see? Wow. <laughs> That's longer than wow. Worf's usual one-liners, but... Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Wesley and Worf then go to the transporter room, but the computer tells them their access is denied. Wesley pulls out a device and plays a recording of Picard's voice. I think that's kind of like what happens in in The Naked Now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah that happens. That happened. The restriction is then lifted and they enter. Wesley beams Worf into a storage room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, telling him he'll automatically return in five minutes. Worf later reappears holding a variety of items. So this is pretty interesting because I think he's trying to get items to like trick out Billing's wheelchair and he beams Worf to a storage room to get it. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Just trying to like even imagine Worf being beamed to a storage room. But anyway, they're kind of buddies in this one. It's weird. Very much yeah. so. So Tasha talks with Billings, who deduces that Beverly asked her to speak to him. He says he had expected her gratitude to him to be distorted by his handicap into something she imagined to be romantic. She's again hurt by this, but he tells her to deal with life's painful realities rather than dwelling on romantic memories. Tasha realizes Billings has truly accepted being disabled for the rest of his life. So the ship with the trade delegation approaches the Enterprise. Gar tells them to start beaming aboard the Delicates, starting with the Romulans. In mid-transport, there are a series of warning klaxons and flashing lights indicating a malfunction that could beam the Romulans into space. That's kind of a nice little warning, like, uh-oh, they're about to be beamed into space. <laughs> um, yeah. Because usually... Would be useful yeah, to have. Because, like, I think even in the original series, when there's a time when, uh, I forget which episode it is, but but people's perceptions are kind of messed up and people get beamed into space and there's no warning. So, so <clears throat> Gar is angry about this, but Geordi, Riker, and Data are able to get the Romulans back to their own ship. In the transporter room, Data removes a device from the console and says it was sabotage that almost cost the delegates their lives. Wesley admits to Picard that he used the transporter controls, but for an innocent reason. In the ready room, Worf explains what he and Wes did, but says they were not involved in the sabotage. Gar says how bad of an idea the trade conference was in the first place. Picard tells Tasha to take Worf into custody. Worf says to Tasha that he is innocent, and if he were really going to harm a Romulan, he would have done it face to face, which is the way Klingons do things. And Tasha is moved by what he has to say. Back in the ready room, Gar demands to be sent back to his ship, and Picard says that will be done once the transporter is repaired. Billings is angry, pointing out that he wanted Worf taken off the ship in the first place, and he's worried how the Romulans will react. Tasha contacts the ready room and says they need to be ready for an image that will appear on the main view screen. It's interesting. <laughs> be ready for this image that's <laughs> appearing on the view screen. So yeah. Tasha says she has kept a record of all authorized areas and unauthorized personnel. Billings is angry he wasn't told about this, and he's angry a lot in this one. The records show Worf and Wesley entering the transporter room and later Gar entering the room as well. We see Gar opening a panel and putting in an object. Picard is furious and turns his attention to Gar. Gar admits his guilt and shrugs. He says having a trade agreement between their two peoples would have been a mistake, and he just sped up the natural state of things. Oh he's my like gosh. Super duper arrogant. <laughs> Yeah. Like, eh, whatever this is going to be the natural course of things I, w I wonder like who this guy gar would be played by because like in the neutral zone that actually aired you get to see mark alemo as a romulan i think he's pretty good i wonder if he could have done this kind of he probably could have because he did do cod who's pretty slimy 
So mm-hmm. just trying to imagine who would. You have somebody else in mind, Richard, who would play this this Romulan Gar? No, I actually I actually think Dukat actually would be a good choice, actually. If he has the same kind of um, villain sort of like feel to him, mm-hmm. um, like he does in DS9. But yeah, I think he would be a great uh, you can lay great actor. actor. Okay. Yeah. I can't think of anyone that would be a great actor at that time. And this would have been the first season, yeah, 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 because we hadn't seen know. the guy who played Tomalock yet, or some right. of the yeah. others. So, True. so Gar is then put under arrest, and the trade conference continues with everyone except Billing seeming to come out on top. Whatever that means, I guess they made a good agreement. <laughs> Later, Billings tries to apologize to Tasha, but she brushes him off and leaves the security office. Wesley enters with schematics and a scale model of his ideas for improving Billings' wheelchair, but Billings is distracted by his interaction with Tasha. As the Enterprise and the Romulan vessels move away from each other, Picard's log states the trade conference was a success. If he's lucky, the Romulans will allow Gar to take his own life, which is their form of death with honor. It's kind of interesting for Picard to put in his log, like, ah, if he's lucky, they'll let him commit suicide. <laughs> like, ooh, yeah. okay, Picard's log. <laughs> So later, Billings is talking to Dr. Crusher. He's studying Wesley's model and voicing his approval of it. He'd like to give the design to Federation researchers so it can be developed for practical use if that's okay with Wesley. Beverly says that should be fine, but why not allow Wesley to develop the first unit for him? Billings says he hoped he wouldn't need it. Okay. (laughs) So shortly after that, Billings and Data are on tables in sickbay with Dr. Crusher conducting the operation we heard about earlier. You know, the one with the nutrients from Data's spinal cord, <laughs> which are magically mm. there. Uh, later on the bridge, the Enterprise is on its way to meet with Billings' ship. An emergency comes up with the Enterprise having to, li- to deliver dilithium crystals to a faraway starbase, and a new course is laid in. Billings walks in with a cane, and everyone is delighted. Billings is pleased and approaches Tasha to ask her to join him for dinner. Without responding to him, Tasha gets permission to leave the bridge. Billings offers her his arm, and as the two of them approach the turbolift, Picard makes note that they need to detour to Gorn space for a short time. Billings says there is no rush as he and Tasha enter the turbolift. End of the episode. So, Amy, your overall impressions of this one. What do you think of it? Would you have liked to see it? Um, actually, I would. I thought uh, it, it gave enough detail that it, and it was interesting. I'm actually... Yeah, wondering what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I, I liked it. Richard, your thoughts? Yeah, I liked it too. Um, it, it had a lot of lot more questions um, uh, about, you know, like certain things. Like, what, what, I mean, why would, why is Jordy not allowed to, um, you know, be, part, uh, why is he a security risk? Yeah, and, and they, and they kind of mention and, it, but he doesn't really do anything. He's just standing around. Yeah, <laughs> so it's. I mean, yeah, I think it answers more or asks more questions than it gives answers. So, uh, I mean, otherwise, it's it's if they would probably change a couple of things, I think that would work. Um, but I, but honestly, I really think that this would not work in season one. I would think that this would work probably later on down the road, probably like season so. three or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and there are some interesting Romulan episodes in season three, like The Enemy and the Defector, and ones like that. Right. Yeah. So probably actually just before that, then yeah, probably because I, I, I'm thinking before all the all the real you know encounters, right? In exactly, because I mean this is the first time in what 50 years. I mean, minus if you take out the cards, yeah, because uh, they, actually they weren't establishing encounter. it was the first time in 50 years in this one. They were saying that it had been right. pretty recent actually, but that mm-hmm. the Romulans right, yeah. were for whatever reason ready to enter some trade negotiations, which I think is like 
interesting because you know in the one that actually aired it's different because all of these bases on either side of the neutral zone have been destroyed it was supposed to set up the borg there's this confrontation with the romulan ship and in the end it's like just note we'll be back and in the end of this one it's like hey trade conference was a success everything's cool so it's it's quite Mm -hmm. a different setup and and something different might have come out of that i mean i think there's 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 kind of some some interesting parallels with some some other stuff in in Star Trek. I think one of them might be the original series episode Journey to Babel, which was kind of about this conference with these different sides that had a uh, some some difficulties between them. Maybe even Star Trek Six because they're they're trying to do this sabotage that will to their own people <laughs> that will kind of break things down. So I think it's interesting. One of the things I don't like about it though is the ending seems to imply that Billings is consistently unhappy when he's disabled, but once he can walk and he has a cane, he's cool and he can ask Tasha out and all that. I don't quite like the message of that. Like you're mm-hmm. permanently unhappy if you're disabled. So that's one thing that, that bothers me about it. But, but otherwise I think it's, it's interesting. And Hey, who wouldn't love to see a scene <clears throat> of Worf lecturing Wesley on Klingon history or Wesley beaming Worf yeah. to a storage room. That would be hilarious to see. So I think there's some quite interesting stuff here. So there's there's one thing I did notice. Notice there's no Troy in this episode. That is quite Aww. true. Troy is not even referenced, <laughs> is she? Because yeah. I know your ears pick up any time I say Troy, but you're right. Yeah. She is not there for any reason. But also, like, uh, was she, did she, in the aired episode, The Neutral Zone, did she have much of a role in that? She might have had a... In The, in the neutral, neutral Zone? I'm trying to remember. She may have had a little bit trying to read the Romulans, maybe, but... I sense they are lying to you. <laughs> There's probably something hmm. like that. I'd yeah. have to look it up. But, Season one, but, Troy. But you're right. Mm-hmm. And I think the other two that we covered last time both had Troy in some important capacity, right? Yeah. Right. You are right about that. But we do see Tasha. Jordy's there. Data's there. Picard's there. Riker's there a bit. So just about everybody else has something to do and Crusher. And so you are right. No Troy. Not a Troy story. All right. Well, and I also like at the end, they say they're de- detouring to Gorn space. Man, I always wanted TNG to... To see the Gorn in some way, but it never happened. So just one thing I was debating on whether to mention it or not, but like, so Tasha, she sort of has, she plays two parts in this episode where the first part, she's the one with information about Gillum. What's his name? Billings. Yeah. She's the one with the added information. And so she has a purpose in why she's in the mm-hmm. scene. I mean, it sort of makes sense that she would know because she's security and so does the extra security. But that she knows uh, him more, not at personable le- level. Well, he was somebody who rescued her, so he knows her on yeah. that kind of level. Yeah. So she has this role and it's like, oh, okay, this is why Tasha's mm-hmm. here. Then the rest of the episode... <laughs> It's her pining for him, right? I know. And it's like, we don't need to see that. And then when you were reading, when uh, at the the last scene where Tasha leaves the bridge without answering anyone. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, she's not going to all of a sudden decide to go out with him now because he can walk. That. Well, it's like she wanted him the whole time, but he wasn't open to it until he could walk, which is not a good message, I don't think. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for her to just 
Oh, because he's changed his mind, I'm going to... And there's actually an interesting um, contrast with that episode with Melora Pazlar in DS9. I wish I could think of the name. But because like in that episode of DS9, Bashir has a way to make it easier for her to live in higher gravity environments so she doesn't feel as disabled. And in the end, she doesn't want to go right. through with it because she's like... That doesn't, I, f- I forget exactly why, but it's it's like, no, that, that wouldn't be right. Or there might have, she might not have been able to go to her home world again or something like that. Right. So that's a different contrast because Bashir like falls in love with her in that episode. But it's like, uh, she doesn't want to do that. And in this one, he's, he's like, yep, <laughs> I didn't want to do it before, yeah. but I'm fine now. And let's, you know, ask Tasha out. So it's, it's weird. Doesn't yeah. quite work. So in that way, you guys ready for the next one? I am. Okay, so just like last time, we had some fun with this one because this had a title that is not used in another Star Trek episode. Uh, If you put out to the Babel Conference, what is this episode about? And the episode's called Some When. That's one word. And it's written by Vanna Bonta, uh, who is listed on Memory Alpha as writer, actress, poet, inventor. She didn't end up working on TNG, and her contribution was this unproduced script. So we have some feedback here. So Wes Huntington guesses that Sumwen is about the Enterprise is transported to a hellish future timeline in which the Federation is about to be overrun by an alien species hell-bent on annihilating all of known space. Picard and his crew must find a way back and prevent this future from occurring. A reverse yesterday's Enterprise. Hmm, that's an interesting... We had lots of interesting ideas, actually, so that's that's an interesting one. We did. Uh, Tony Robinson guesses that some when says it's a time travel episode where captain picard gets trapped in the 1980s and falls in love with someone who just happens to look like vosh that would be interesting Hmm. oh tony (laughs) interesting yeah okay in tng they didn't go back to the 80s only star trek 4 did that (laughs) so And what a mistake that was. That's not, 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 not the movie. I'm talking about going back to the 80s. <laughs> hey, it's a fun movie. So, Brendan Shea said, a, pl- a planet experienced an economic collapse, and the crew of the Enterprise much, must introduce them to gambling. <laughs> uh, we see the, the future of Fizbin. Is that what he said? Return Fizbin? of Fizbin. Oh, yeah, the return of Fizbin. And find out that the currency of the planet is called when. I Brandon like Shea's it. trying to be funny. No, it's funny. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, um, okay. Fizbin, why not? Uh, so Elizabeth Siler Moore guesses, members of the crew get lost in time and must figure out ways to send messages to the future. The crew members that remain in the future have to figure out how to go back when the others are lost and how to get them back. I see. I sense a theme here. Mm-hmm. People think that there's some time travely thing in most of these. <laughs> yeah. Some when, yeah. That sounds... Yeah, well, the when sort of <laughs> throws it into question. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Pittard guesses, with a title like that, it's got to be a time travel episode. There you go. I'm guessing the Enterprise enters some sort of strange energy area slash field slash nebula and gets lost in time. Perhaps it also displaces characters back to other points in the galaxy at key moments. One of the characters manages to do something to correct the timeline. For someone who normally wouldn't do that, I'm going with dot dot dot, Jordy fixes the timeline. Although I think I know it's going to be data, it's always data, that walking calculator would likely fix things. <laughs> 
See, there you go. There's the math division right there. I don't know if Theo <laughs> likes being called a walking calculator, though. No, he does not. <laughs> he can't even fit in my pocket. <laughs> so, so Curtis Sierra Barassi said, I imagine we see Riker and Troy dating before the start of TNG and before Riker, Riker is duplicated on his away mission. Maybe we find out how Riker left and how their romance fizzled out. Huh? Huh? <laughs> yep, I'm liking this one. <laughs> it uh, it was uh, always captivating to see them meet on the bridge of the of the D and communicate mind to mind, calling each other Imzadi. Definitely has Amy's vote. Riker and Troy romance. Yes, Curtis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well done. Well done. And finally, Kay Frick says, "I wonder if the script evolved into the Voyager episode Shattered." You guys remember that one where they're different, like time, yep. it's shattering into different timelines and you're kind of going back and forth in time. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's see how close our listeners in the Babel Conference got. I'm going to give the plot summary of Some When. Uh, it was also written for season one, so another early script. The Enterprise picks up a distress call from the passenger ship, the Pleiades. The signal is coming from the Docleic Triad, an area of space where a number of ships have been lost over the years. Data says sensors show an ion storm passed through that area recently. Past studies show that can create an electromagnetic water spout effect that can destroy ships. Scanners also show a series of rings of energy. As the distress call continues, Captain Picard decides they must investigate despite the danger. As the Enterprise is put on alert, Tasha realizes holodeck 1B is in use without authorization, but no one is in that holodeck. She sends Worf to find out what's going on. Worf reports to Tasha that nothing seems to be wrong and that the holodeck is not actually in use. He walks away, and then we see light coming from the holodeck and that inside the holodeck, Tasha is wearing, quote, a futuristic bathing suit and is part of a wild beach party. Oh, really? (laughs) I know. It's like, okay. And I think that's where they would end, like, the teaser and go into the credits. And it actually reminds me of, I think there's a Voyager episode where in the teaser it ends with, they're, they're having, like, kind of a beach party on the holodeck and it ends with a shot of like Neelix's dancing feet and you're like what is this episode about oh <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so this is kind of like that it's like what 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 is this about <laughs> all right the enterprise enters the docleic triad and picard says he is determined to save the over 1000 crew on the pleiades we also find out that the anniversary of jack crusher's death is the next day and that seems to be giving picard a further reason to be successful in the rescue mission despite its risk I'd hope no matter whose anniversary of their death that Picard would do their utmost, but somehow this is thrown in here. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. At the same time, Beverly is in her quarters, also thinking of Jack, looking at a holographic photo of him. She feels sorry that Wesley, who is reading a book nearby, didn't get to really know his father. The Enterprise enters the first ring of energy, and Geordi reports that he's picking up readings from the USS Orion, a ship that went missing in the triad a decade before. I wonder... Staffed by Orions? Probably not. <laughs> but, um, fittingly, the starship is just ahead of them and appears to be covered in a green glow. They hail the Orion with no success and the tractor beam can't lock on. It's as if the ship isn't really there. The Enterprise then also becomes enveloped in green light, but Picard orders them to press on. Yeah, nothing to worry about there, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just enveloping us. Yeah. It's just enveloping us in green light. Let's keep going. So a young ensign approaches Jordi and Data at their usual positions and asks Data to sign a report. I don't know if we've ever seen Data sign a report on TNG, except when, except no. maybe like in Data's day when he's in the captain's chair, but it's unusual. 
So neither of them recall ever having seen the ensign before, but Geordi is reminded of someone he was attracted to at the academy. As the Enterprise approaches the next ring of energy, Beverly is eating a meal alone in her quarters. A voice says he has just the right wine to go with her meal. Beverly looks up and sees Jack Crusher sitting across from her. We see Beverly and Jack are in quarters unlike any aboard the Enterprise. She talks about a baby that was delivered that day, and Jack asks if she regrets that they never had children of their own. Beverly answers no and says that Jack and her career are more than enough. So clearly something weird is going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing Beverly and Jack Crusher talking to each other, they're talking about not having any children. So, yeah. Picard and Riker enter the ready room with Data following behind. Data steps into the ready room and is surprised to see a bearded Picard talking to his first officer, Jack Crusher, where the two men are toasting the stargazer. Data moves back onto the bridge where everything still seems to be as it should be. Bearded Picard. Mm. Well, we see it in all good things, right? Yeah. (laughs) But uh, not before then, I think. As the Enterprise enters the third ring, Geordi spots two other vessels, the Androcles and the Utoria. Both ships are glowing red, and now so is the Enterprise. Still nothing to worry about. We're glowing red now, but everything's okay, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Picard and Riker are called to the bridge, and they come out of the ready room, for which Data is relieved, because he was wondering if, you know, Picard and Jack Crusher would come out, but everything seems fine. The two ships are hailed, but there's no response, and sensors show no life forms on either ship. Data analyzes the available information and theorizes that members of the Enterprise crew are ceasing to exist, at least partially, and that's why they can't communicate with the other ships. Picard is confused. And so is everyone else who's hearing this, right? Like, what? Yes. And he asks Data to explain. Data replies that time is being altered, and if they don't find the Pleiades soon, that ship will be lost. There's really not much of an explanation there. Maybe they'd get to that in a future draft, but it's like, all right, Data, sure. So the Enterprise crosses into the fourth ring, and Picard disappears from the bridge. The computer is asked to locate Picard, and a reply is given that he's in the science analysis lab. However, Picard can't be reached. Riker is annoyed and orders Data to locate the captain and bring him back to the bridge. I think he should be more than annoyed. I think he should be really worried. Like, Picard just disappeared, but he's like, ah, find Picard. Disappeared. Darn him. I'm so annoyed. (laughs) And then to make things worse, the distress call from the Pleiades is starting to break up. So apparently they've been getting the distress call this whole time, and it's just starting to to break up at this point. Right. On his way to the science lab, Data sees Geordi with the young ensign we saw earlier, but Geordi is no longer blind. So... That's Hmm. interesting for season one, something that you see later, (laughs) at least in first contact. Mm -hmm. So Data continues to the lab, and when he enters the room, he finds himself in Picard's quarters. And there's a note here that says the same quarters seen in the battle, which is a first season episode where the Ferengi captain comes by with the stargazers. So clearly, I guess it was far enough in season one that had already happened or been written. The captain once again has a beard. And he's holding a brandy glass. I want to see this. Picard with a beard and a brandy glass in season one. That would be great. (laughs) Data backs out of the room. I love how his reaction is like, something weird's happening. I'm just going to back out of the room and hope it didn't happen. (laughs) Move slowly and maybe they won't see me. So then Picard steps out a moment later. Now he's without a beard, but still holding the brandy glass. Data doesn't comment on this, but instead says Riker would like the captain to report to the bridge. Picard arrives at the bridge right at the moment the Pleiades appears on the view screen. Both the Pleiades and the Enterprise are surrounded by a blue glow, and the distress call stops. So green, then red, then blue. Why? I don't know. (laughs) Hmm. I really don't know, but three different colors. 
Uh, Data exits from the turbo lift and says they need to leave this area of space. Picard says they can't leave the people on the Pleiades, but Data responds that there are no lifeform readings because the Pleiades is on a different dimensional or time continuum level. Again, Data's spouting some stuff and it's like, where are you getting this from? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. can you explain? He says, also, the longer the Enterprise remains, the stronger the chance that they too will cease to exist. To make a bad situation worse, another ion storm is headed toward them and will arrive in two hours. Then Beverly and Data are trying to detect life on the Pleiades, but they're only picking up machinery. Data theorizes that machines remain constant, whereas people make choices that alter their lives, and this must be coming into play somehow. (laughs) Mm. Data's explanations are a little bit vague in this one, but... Uh, Beverly brings up the idea of parallel universes and that she might exist somewhere else. Wesley then interjects, it's more like some when. (laughs) Uh, And there uh, is uh, emphasis uh. like in the script. They italicize some when, so yeah. hmm. (laughs) I imagine cut to commercial at that point. So on the bridge, Picard gives Riker the helm as he leaves the bridge and Riker is later referred to as captain by Geordi. Somehow time has been altered again and Riker is captain of the Enterprise. Meanwhile, Data is on his way to the bridge when he sees through an open door a beaten and bloodied Tasha before a judge on her homeworld where she's being sentenced to die. That's Mm. just horrific to think about. It is. He realizes another timeline is affecting this one. He then passes the real Tasha and then sees a third Tasha who is a judge playing God with the prisoner. And that's what it actually says, a judge playing God with the prisoner. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Maybe she's like Q. And so Data realizes the three timelines are coming together and hurries to the turbo lift. Now, this is interesting because like the three timelines coming together, that's kind of something you see in We'll Always Have Paris, you know, the one that it has a short time loop, but then there's this guy that's messing with time and they're like the three Datas with the container that have to merge together. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if they got the idea from that, but also the three timelines is kind of like um, all good things. So there's another time flash, and we see Geordi married and raising a family, having never joined Starfleet, hmm. which would be interesting to see, right? Yeah. We then see Picard enter the observation lounge, where he greets Beverly and Jack Crusher. Data and the real Picard arrive at the bridge at the same time, where Riker says they must leave immediately because of the coming ion storm. There's a debate, and then Picard gives the order to leave, but Geordi finds his helm controls aren't responding correctly. There's some more here, but it's like, this is pretty confusing, isn't it? It's hard, a little hard to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Very much so. <laughs> I feel like you have to make a diagram like this happens and that happens. I don't know if you could get it into 45 minutes like, and have the right explanation yeah. for it, but yeah. <laughs> so Wesley has the idea that they should use the ships they spotted earlier as signposts to eventually lead them out. Now here's Amy's favorite part. Troy, Troy is in this one, at least a little bit. Yay! Troy notes that, quote, according to quantum physics, thought influences time slash space relativity. Okay. Mm. (laughs) Not a usual thing for Troy to say, but... Yeah. Oh, it sounds a little intelligent. Well, no, I mean, she does say intelligent things, but I mean, (laughs) it sounds sounds like... No, I'm saying that, yeah, that she's actually being written with intelligent things to say. Well, and it makes me think of where no one has gone before, where the traveler actually uses thought to move time and space. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so then the Enterprise passes the Androcles and the Eutoria. Data says he wants to study the time alterations further and leaves the bridge. He finds that as the Enterprise moves back the way that it came, parallel universes are collapsing, with things returning mm. to normal. He sees true love between an alternate Riker and Troy, and then their relationship reverting to something purely professional, and so on. So there's the Riker and Troy true love yay the enterprise approaches the first ring 
remember because they're moving backward. I, I need to like remember right. this. Like, where are they? And what they? Are they? What are they doing? So they approach the first ring as the fear of the coming ion storm increases. Wesley is about to say something, and he suddenly disappears. Yeah, yeah it makes me think like Richard oh, wrote sorry. that part. <laughs> Wesley <laughs> is about to say something and disappears from the bridge. <laughs> Sweet. This is a great script. I love it. <laughs> uh, we'll see if you still love it later. Uh, a computer search <laughs> indicates that neither he nor Beverly are aboard the ship. Troy believes Beverly wanted her life with Jack so badly that she willed this to be, which would mean Wesley does not exist. Aww. Which I think, yes! which, which is, I don't know, which is a little bit weird because... Does that really mean Wesley doesn't exist because they have him as a child? Anyway, that's a little confusing. Very. No, uh, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> Press this button, Wesley does not exist. Yes, it makes sense to Richard. <laughs> Picard thinks the suggestion Wesley was going to make before he disappeared is important, and he orders the Enterprise back into the triad so that Beverly and Wesley can once again exist. Cue sad face yeah. on Richard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after some searching, they find the parallel universe where Picard, Jack, and Beverly are serving on the Stargazer. Picard says that he must somehow speak to her, even though this Beverly has knowledge of the Picard on the Enterprise, and get her to alter her reality. He explains to her the details of the real Beverly's life on the Enterprise. Jack doesn't want to lose her, but Beverly is unsure of what to do. Wes appears, and then disappears again. And Picard tells Beverly, we love you. Wes appears again. He and Beverly lock eyes, and she ultimately chooses her son's reality. Jack disappears just as Wesley materializes completely. Beverly steps into her own timeline, and the three of them head for the bridge. Picard orders maximum warp out of the triad, which is accomplished thanks to Wesley's suggestion. Although in the script, we're not told what that suggestion is. They would have thought of something. No. <laughs> the Enterprise crew, now safe again, looks in a rear view at the ion storm they've avoided. End of episode. A Amy, your thoughts overall on this one? Um, some time loop-de-loop -loop going on. Yeah. Um, and some timeline loop-de-loop -loop too. Oh, yeah. Um, I like, I mean, just that's pretty creative. Again, sort of getting that parallels type of thing. And it's like six years ahead of parallels, between. right? The episode. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so to have that creativity so early on is awesome. And yeah, they still have some things to work on, but... It's pretty. I think pretty they needed good. to to maybe make it a little less confusing because when you think of like parallels, Worf is jumping between these parallel universes, but I think throughout it's clear what's going on, and I've never found it confusing. But with this episode, I'm just like, what's who? Who is it? What's happening? Where? And I think partly it's because they're doing things like let's show Jack Crusher, let's show Riker and Troy, let's show this and that. It's not like with Worf, it's focused on like what Worf's going through, so it's easier to follow. I think right. if you do it that way. Well, and the fact that Data doesn't change because he's an android and his dis his choices remain constant. I was like, <laughs> no, the situation is so. He just keeps backing change. out of the room and hoping it didn't happen and giving some vague explanation yeah. for stuff. It's a little weird for Data. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think overall, Richard? That would work great for a book, not an episode. Mm. I mean, because you would need a book to kind of fill it out because there's a lot going on, right? Yeah, there's way too much going on. <laughs> I mean, I could see why you wouldn't make it, but I mean, especially in the first season, I mean, that's just way too much information. Maybe, I guess, if they toned it down a bit, it probably could work in like season six or seven. Mm. But like this one's like, ooh, yeah, there is way too much. I mean, 
I mean, especially from my heart. I mean, seeing Wesley go away and be done. <laughs> then he comes come back, back and then disappears and then again. I get depressed. And then he disappears <laughs> again. And then I'm happy again. I mean, I gotta, I'm got i going through an emotional roller coaster here. <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah, I think it would work uh, really well as a, as a book. Or, like I said, you know, later, like season six or seven, when we have more background stories and we don't have to explain mm-hmm. as much. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. <clears throat> I mean, I think what you've said is is definitely true. It's it's a little too confusing, although I appreciate the ambition of it this early on. But one other thing that that like another we talked about the episode parallels and we talked about all good things and we'll always have Paris and where no one has gone before and all of that. There's a there's a couple of parallels also, I think, to a couple of original series episodes like Shore Leave, where it seems like weird things are happening. <laughs> And you're like seeing this thing. Did it really happen? Did it not? I mean, it's different because of timelines, but there's that. Mm -hmm. But also like at the end of it, Beverly has a bit of a moment like Kirk does in City on the Edge of Forever because she has to let Jack Mm -hmm. die in order for Wesley to live, right? Where Kirk has to let Edith Keeler die for the right future to happen. So there is that kind of, because she is really accepting that Jack dies at the end of this. So I think that that's like a tough decision. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, good, good call. So looking back at the guesses, do we feel like anybody got close or had the right idea? I mean, I think all the people with timelines had had a pretty good idea, but I was gonna say I don't, I don't, I can't see. I mean, I can't see anyone really being that close. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, because like it's 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 talking about like basically well, timelines. It, not actually, like actually, actual... I mean, Matthew Pittard wasn't too far off because he says enter some sort of strange energy area field nebula and that's kind of what happens with these rings of, of energy. And in a way they get yeah, lost in time. True. So Yeah. And how they get enveloped, you know, yeah. like inside a nebula. However, Jordy so. did not fix the timeline. It was Beverly, so. Yeah. Imagine but that. he did say, <laughs> I know it's going to be data. It's always data. And data was the one constant. Yeah, so. I could see that. But, but also... Uh, uh, Curtis talked about seeing Riker and Troy well before the start of TNG yeah. and we saw them after but there was some of that but also like what, what Kay Frick said about Shattered it is kind of like that where there are these different like kind of shattering timelines and you're seeing like what's going on so I think you know some some of our listeners weren't too far off based on the one word title which is great so yeah agreed we've got very intelligent listeners here and uh well we're definitely going to be continuing this series when we can but uh let's go into final thoughts so richard your final thoughts on these two never produced episodes which one you might prefer to see and <laughs> your just your thoughts on thinking about these it like i said you know some of these i, I could see a lot of these working um i mean uh, maybe i mean they could definitely be episodes that we could see um uh, you know, uh, but not on, but not like in the, in season one. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, there's just way too much backstory that that would have to be done uh, well before that, and I don't think they were even close to be you know, being, you know, telling everyone's backstory by the time it hit season what three is really when they started really getting some really good in depth stories and um and and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, otherwise I could see them. I could see both of them working. Um in um in a later season for sure or a book yeah yeah uh your thoughts amy i i think i i agree with richard that i don't i can't see them as season one and because of like you said all the backstory that has to go through and they're trying to develop too many characters i think for the neutral zone that might have worked 
the, this version of the neutral zone in season one, don't you think? Or yeah, well, yeah, I guess I could see uh, see that one working, but I would think it would be later in the season for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, I'm listening to it and saying, well, I would love to see these types of shows in season one. I think both of them have merits and and have like an A plot and a B plot and. I, I think they're interesting. Um, so it it would I would have loved to have seen something like this in season one. Okay. So you're saying the a plot for both of them is uh, Wesley uh, going through some hardships. <laughs> hey, he was fascinated by Worf's lecture on Klingon history, so he's doing fine. Yes, he was. <laughs> and I'm impressed. Like we, he he doesn't disappear in that one, and you seem to be happy because it's like. Worf Tudor's Wesley. Yes, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> he needs pain sticks. There you go. Oh, yes, pain yeah. sticks. Yeah, pain sticks. <laughs> Worf's pain stick based Sit schooling. Sit at the highest level. <laughs> so yeah, I, th- I think, you know, again, I think it's really interesting to talk about these because there are things that didn't happen. There are some parallels with other things, but it's something we can talk about. That's a what if, like what if they would have produced something like this? What would that have been like? I mean, I think... Clearly, it would have gone through some other script revisions. It would have come out probably somewhat differently, but I, th- I think it is kind of interesting. And also the idea in this version of the neutral zone that there has been consistent contact with the Romulans. I suppose for the last 50 years, Picard was in a battle with them. I mean, that introduces some interesting things and maybe some interesting background to his his interactions with the Romulans in, in TNG. I, I think I probably would have preferred to see that one, although the thing with, with Billings like feeling not happy until he's out of his wheelchair bothers me. But other than that, yeah. I think there's some strong, interesting stuff in that one. And like the drama of this trade conference is kind of interesting. What would a Romulan trade conference be like? So yeah. And, and for some when, yeah, there's definitely interesting ideas, but they had, they'd have to really change a lot of things and maybe simplify it a lot in order for it not to be so confusing. There you go. You could add Troy right there by his depression in his wheelchair. His or whatever, yeah, floating chair, whatever they uh, they they conceive uh, for the episode. I imagine it's kind of like yeah. Admiral Jameson's chair. It doesn't. I don't yeah. think it floats. It just is kind of this. It's kind of a. But wouldn't it float? It would float. Not yeah. that we see in that episode. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, hypothetically, <laughs> I mean, like not what we see. I'm saying, I'm pretty sure it would float. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. You know what I mean. Or at least you don't even need the mechanics for uh, uh, the the big chair thing. You, you can just float around like he's Superman or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and even in that DS9 episode with Melora Pazlar, I think they, don't they even give an explanation like that they can't use like an anti-grab device to... Yeah, because it was it was because of the corridors, because there were like hatches and they had like a ledge on the bottom of them. Yeah, well then, but then I think there was an episode like later in the season where they're using anti-grab units all over the place, so it's a little inconsistent, mm. but... Oh, right, yeah. Ah, well, of course, the episode was called Melora. Uh, <laughs> hmm. How could I forget that? Anyway, I think that is an interesting episode, an interesting parallel with that one. And also, there's a... Zach Moore is going to laugh at me again. But there is a great uh, little series of books about Melora Pazlar called Gemworld, where they go to her homeworld. That's great. It's actually Picard and Melora on their homeworld, and it's very cool. Hmm. thought I'd mention that. All right, so a preview of next week's episode. So next week, we will have some guests on. Uh, We'll have Mike Wong and Elise Cutts from the Strange New World Science and Star Trek podcast, and they'll be guesting to talk about the chase and panspermia. 
If you don't know what panspermia is, well, I guess you could look it up, but we'll talk about it on that episode because it does apply to the chase. I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing that. Well, it's been so much fun talking about lost episodes from The Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Meta Treks. You can see Gene Roddenberry playing with the idea of what we could become given our full potential, and the aliens that have achieved that looking down and, and kind of criticizing or examining or evaluating humanity from a moral standpoint, almost like Q does in in putting humanity on trial. There's a sense in which humanity is being judged by these morally superior aliens that are genuinely pacifist. Or in the case of Q, genuinely narcissistic. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He's not trying to to be a Starfleet officer. He doesn't care about doing that in the context of, well, because I want to prove that I'm a Starfleet officer. But I think that, and again, this is what perhaps in in hindsight after the fact he starts to realize that who he is aligns itself or can align itself with what starfleet stands for. to the journey i was wondering why they didn't do a mind meld at the end of the the episode why why would they do that because tressa has 90 some odd years 94 96 years of life experience and tuvok is a vulcan so he can mind meld why wouldn't he do that because there's no reason to do that you're just going around mind melding with people willy nilly just because they're old and you want their knowledge. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, it's like t- space genealogy. Dude, boundaries. Melodic treks. And uh, you know, I talked to the producers when I first did the show, and the first thing they had me do was take a combination of the da 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 da, da you know, the Sandy Courage wonderful horn theme, and. Um, Jerry's you know his theme for the first movie and, and make a theme out of those and combine them so I did it electronically and they said good enough and I said I look this is not my specialty and they said never mind you got it so 18 years later you know that was it and that's what else is happening on trek.fm check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not imagining what the Enterprise D looks like bathed in green, red, or blue? Just imagining what that would look like. Just uh, all these colors. 
Enterprise D is like no. A are we talk about like post or are we talking about like post or pre Star Trek Online? Because you can change the ship color. Uh, on, we're talking on about Star during during the series. Oh, but, there okay. you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm not thinking about that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Still working on my season five rewatch of the Next Generation, but I'm getting so close. I've just got a few left. Uh, and you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not enjoying the idea of Worf lecturing to Wesley on Klingon history? You mean with my paint sick? Because <laughs> I would enjoy that. <laughs> well, you guys can find me on Facebook. Uh, I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And um, I'm also on uh, Twitter. My handle is xransom. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not studying quantum physics like Counselor Troy? Well, now that she does it, <laughs> I have to do it. <laughs> So I, you can find me here, listeners, on the network. I host The Edge with Patrick Devlin, and that's our show about Star Trek Discovery. I also am on Twitter, at Miss Amy Nelson, and I'm in a Deep Space Nine, and I'm in Season 3, watch Woo-hoo! slash rewatch. So, uh, yep, it's it's really fun enjoying it. Um, but my favorite place right here in the Babel Conference on Facebook If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. How can someone look so much like a Vulcan, yet act like such a moron? Great joy and gratitude. Page six for Wesley! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs>